Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It's Monday, April the 25th of 2022. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is the Faith Radio Network. Welcome. Um, Doesn't really matter when you're listening. I say good morning because it's morning where I am when we are having this initial conversation. But I know many, many, many of you um, are not listening in the morning because it's not morning where you are. It's already the middle of the day or the middle of the afternoon. So hello to you. And many of you are listening later at your convenience. Um via the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. And so welcome to you as well. Whatever time of the day or night it is, I love being with you. Thank you so much for including me in your day. We're going to play catch up here for a couple of minutes this morning um, because we had this hiatus last week from our regular conversations. We had an extraordinary Faith Radio fundraiser. And so let me begin this morning by saying thank you Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. In addition to nearly a thousand of you lending your financial support to the ministry, 18,440 meals were sent through our partnership with Feed My Starving Children to literally the front lines of the refugee crisis in and around Ukraine. 18,440 meals is what was released by your generosity, in addition to um, you know the full support of Faith Radio. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 18,440 meals or two weeks of food for 461 families. Sometimes we wonder um, when Jesus describes, you know, the judgment, the sheep and the goats, um, you know, what you did for the least of these you did for me. And we say, Lord, when did I see you hungry and not feed you? Well, this is one of those times when you saw people who were hungry and you fed them. And so thank you for faithfully responding Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I was uh, struck over the weekend, actually just yesterday, by photographs of uh, Orthodox Ukrainian Christians lined up outside of their churches in cities, in towns across their war-torn nation, including Bucha. We talked about Bucha um, last week and the week before. It was um, a small community under siege by the Russians horrible, horrible atrocities committed there. Well, yesterday, the people of Bucha stood with their traditional Easter baskets, or in some cases, helmets, because they didn't have a basket, but they have a, you know, they now have an army helmet. And it was filled with traditional cakes and painted eggs. Um, And then when you enlarge the photograph so that you can see the people a little bit better, because the, you know, it's a lot of people lined up, right, with their baskets at their feet. And so you have to kind of enlarge the picture. And here were some things that I noted. Well, first of all, there's no smiles on anyone's faces. It's Easter. It was Easter Sunday in, you know, in, uh, among Orthodox Christians yesterday. No smiles on their faces. Maybe that's no surprise. They're in the middle of a war. But then it struck me. There are no children in the picture. It's Easter Sunday. And there are no children. Mostly men 
but a notable number of women in these photographs stood with their Easter baskets at their feet, waiting to be blessed. And I thought to myself, this is a picture of people counting on the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, waiting in hope in the midst of terrible worldly trouble. It was a reminder that help has to come from the outside no matter who you are. Help has to come from the outside. Jesus Jesus is the only answer. And Jesus is an all-sufficient answer. Jesus is great enough and Jesus is good enough and Jesus is all-sufficient. It was a reminder that we have brothers and sisters in Christ over there. And so thank you for helping to feed them and thank you for praying with me for them. Let's do that right now. Holy God, we come before you. You are a God of grace and a God of glory. You are great. Your mercies are new every morning. Your faithfulness is unfailing. Your redemptive power and purposes and plan are not going to be ultimately thwarted. And so we pray today. We pray for these precious brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. Holy God, supply today for their needs. Bless them. Thank you for the way they stood yesterday awaiting your Easter blessing. Father, we stand under that blessing today. We stand in the shadow of the cross and in the reality of the empty tomb. It is still Easter. Father, let us never forget that. And we do pray today for Vladimir Putin and for everyone under his command. Holy God, send a fresh wind, a powerful wind of your Holy Spirit, that they would turn their hearts toward you. Holy God, we recognize that Jesus is the only answer for the world today, and we come before you in his name, praying for the end of war and for the reality of peace, praying for the light of the gospel to shine in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Carmen LeBurge, thank you for joining me on this 25th of April, 2022. Where in the word are you today? It's possible that, you know, in this week following Easter, you are um, you are in passages where Jesus is continuing to reveal himself, like all of his resurrection appearances. It occurs to me, though, that there are a lot of folks who following Easter start a, you know, some new Bible study plan. They launch into a conversation with new Christians um, for whom the gospel is brand new news, not just good news, but new news. Um, and so I was just wondering where in the word you are today. You can text me and let me know. The number is 877-933-2484. Where in the word are you today? You know that I um, ardently, ardently uh, believe that we should not get out there into the world that God so loves if we have not first gotten ourselves into the Word of God and allowed the Word of God to get into us. I just don't think we have any business, certainly not getting into the Father's business in the world, if we have not gotten into the Word of God and allowed it um, to penetrate our thoughts and minds and form our thinking for the day ahead. So where in the Word are you today? I am in Second Corinthians chapter 4. 
Therefore, having this ministry, which first of all, let's just recognize there that if there's a therefore at the beginning of the passage you're reading, you should ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? And you have to go back and read 2 Corinthians, um, you know, chapters 1 through 3 to understand the context here, fully understand the context here that Paul is setting up. And since it's 2 Corinthians, you might also want to read 1 Corinthians. And, and then you might want to go back to the book of Acts and see, well, you know, what is, what is uh, Paul's relationship with these um, Corinthian Christians, right? He has some spiritual authority in this relationship. So he is speaking as one who has authority, a spiritual authority in this church. So he's saying to them, therefore, having this ministry, what ministry is this? Well, this is the ministry of the gospel. So having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I want you to just consider those two verses. Do you recognize that you have a ministry by the mercy of God? Do you recognize that having this ministry by the mercy of God, there's no reason to lose heart, no matter how bad things get, no matter how challenging it is. We don't lose heart because we have this ministry by the mercy of God, and God's mercies are new every morning and all sufficient and never-ending. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Those are the ways of the world, my friend. Those are the ways of the world. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So I do that this morning. I commend my conscience to you, and I do so in the sight of God, recognizing that ultimately he's the one who is going to judge not only my words and my deeds, but my very heart as well. And even if our gospel is veiled, Paul says, it's veiled to those who are perishing, which is to say, if people don't get it, if people don't respond to Jesus for who he is and what he, for who he really is and what he has really done, if it's veiled to them, like I, I'm, I'm just responsible to proclaim it. I am not responsible for the way people respond to it. I think that's really essential to remember today. In their case, the God of this world, Paul says, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Boy, there's a lot in verse 4. There's a lot in verse 4. Spend a little time today in First Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Spend a little time considering um, that we have this treasure in jars of clay. Consider um, what it means for things that are seen to be transient and things that are unseen to be eternal. Consider what it means for grace to extend to more and more people. Consider what it means for God who said, let light shine out of darkness to have shown in our hearts and given the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Consider what that means to you today and to the world today that God so loves. What does it mean for the light to shine out of darkness? This is Easter. So what does it mean for light to shine out of darkness in the context of Easter? For Orthodox Christians, the day after Easter. For the rest of us, a week after Easter. What does it mean that light shines out of darkness? And what does it mean that that light has now shown in our hearts 
to give us, to illuminate the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then how do we reflect that light and that love and that grace and that glory into the world around us today? That's what we're doing every single day, seeking to apprehend the mind of Christ on the matters of the day and then apply the mind of Christ to the issues of the day and walk our faith out into the world that God so loves in ways that honor Jesus. So thanks for joining me in this effort. Let's, um, let's, let's come back to some of those issues of the day. I mean, some of them are really big. Education, immigration, crime, violence. Let's come back to the big issues of the day and address them from the viewpoint of an even bigger God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Well, good morning again, or good day, good afternoon, good evening, depending on when you're listening. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge on the Faith Radio Network. Welcome to those of you listening online at MyFaithRadio.com and to those of you listening on the Faith Radio app. If you've been wondering, how can I share this ministry with somebody else? Those are great ways to do it. Share the app with uh, with folks, and then they can listen anytime, anywhere, and they can listen to former um, editions uh, of this broadcast ministry. We'd love for you to become a missionary of the program by sharing it with somebody else. That'd be great. What did you hear in worship yesterday? What was yesterday's sermon on where you um, were worshiping? We are working our way through the Gospel of John um, at Grace Community Church where I worship. And I know it seems you're going to say to yourselves, wow, these people, they don't, they don't know the order of things according to the Christian calendar. Because we were just yesterday at Jesus's entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And you're like, guys are like two weeks off. What's wrong with you? Okay, so we move at the pace of grace and we work our way um, verse by verse through the Bible. And so this is the week we arrived at John chapter 12, where Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Um, And I just have to tell you that some days I hear a sermon and I say to myself, that is the best sermon I've ever heard in my entire life. And yesterday was one of those days. And I don't know if it was because um, I needed to go back to the very beginning of Holy Week and sort of do it again, because when I did it a couple of weeks ago, maybe I was, you know, not nearly as focused as I am now on this side of the uh, of the cross and the resurrection. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's that I'm, I'm seeking to address the issues of the day and this sermon was so compelling in relationship to that. But um I'm wondering what you heard yesterday in the context of worship, and I'm wondering if, you know, you thought to yourself, wow, my my pastor has been in the Word of God in such a way. He's bringing it to me um, in a way that touches my mind and my heart and the days in which we live. So um, thank you today to my pastor and for other pastors out there who are bringing the Word, who are rightly handling the Word of God and bringing the Word and helping us apply it to life. So um, thank you. Thank you to pastors out there everywhere. If you haven't said thank you to your pastor lately, you know, today would be a good day. Like, they are probably back at work. The, you know, this uh, they might have taken last week off, the week after Easter, but they're probably back at work today. So um, give, them, give, them a, give them a shout out and tell them how grateful you are um, for each one of them. We got a lot of big issues that we need to address as a nation. I mean, big issues. Um, education, immigration, 
uh, and criminal justice or crime lead my list this morning. But that doesn't mean that I'm not concerned um, about national defense or I'm not concerned about, uh, you know, infrastructure or health care. I'm concerned about all of it. But let me just lift up these three headlines today. Let's see how quickly we can move through this. I know Paul's now in a panic because he's thinking I can't do this in like three minutes. But here we go. On the education front, uh, Disney's very high profile challenge to a law in the state of Florida, which limits the teaching of sexually explicit and gender dysphoric material to children in, note this, grades K to three, which I don't know why we're talking about LGBTQ issues in, in kindergarten anyway, but Apparently, people want to, and so this law limits that. It it, it also, however, um, li- limits um, what school districts were wanting to do. So school districts were wanting to limit the information that parents would have access to about their child's experience while in the, quote, custody of public schools. Okay, j- just pause there for just a moment. My children are not in your custody when when they are in public school. That is not how this works. They are still my children. Um, and so this um, this conversation in Florida has illuminated the need to have very serious conversations about education. And, and so here are the questions. I'm posing questions today. I'm not posing answers. I'm posing questions today. What is education? How does it happen? Who is responsible for it? And how um, how is the education of our children being influenced by people who are not parents? And then I want you to think about this in the midst of this conversation. What's in the printed curriculum is one thing. What's actually in the textbook? But you and I both know that the real curriculum is the teacher. The teacher is always the real curriculum. That's why discipleship is about following someone. Okay? The, the, the pattern of life, the person, um, the teacher is the curriculum. And they teach through words and images and slogans and games and supplemental classroom activities uh, and materials and media that parents never see and stuff that's never approved by, um, you know, the Board of Education. So teachers matter and who's teaching in our public schools matters a lot. So, again, hats off to Christians who are serving in public education. But we've got to have a real conversation um, about education in our country. And then there's immigration. If you haven't um, been aware of this, there is a real crisis at the U.S. southern border. Here are some of the numbers as of today. Our border is already porous. Let me, let me note that. Our border is porous. Some th- 7,000 people are crossing illegally every day, and that does not account for um, all of the people who are known get- gotaways, the people who we haven't counted because they got away. So the number of people crossing illegally is expected to rise to as high as 18,000 per day when the current Title 42 COVID-related restrictions are lifted. And the date on that TikTok is May 23rd. We got to have a plan, people. We got to have a clear plan to secure the border as a primary responsibility of the federal government. If you want to imagine that we are going to still consider ourselves a sovereign nation by any common definition of that term. Now, you know my heart on this. You know that I I regard every single person as an image bearer of the living God. And I want every person to lead a life of flourishing. I want them to live in a place that is safe, where they can flourish. But I also recognize that the United States of America is, to this point, a sovereign country. It is a nation. And therefore, we have some responsibility to 
retain borders, actual borders. And so we've got to have a conversation about immigration. And then finally, we got to have a conversation about rising crime and violence in this country. This is a this is a two part. Well, it's probably you know, like a 50 part conversation, but there's two parts of this because this is also second chance month. And I absolutely wholeheartedly believe that our that our criminal the part of our criminal justice system where people are incarcerated, that needs serious reform as well. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that those who have paid their debt to society should absolutely get a real second chance when they come out of prison. But we've got a crime problem in this country that is that that's seemingly out of control and people are beginning to feel it. So Gallup surveyed everybody and and says that the fear of crime in the United States is at its highest level since 2016. 2001 was the highest uh, fear of crime in the United States, but that's not a surprise because, right, that's post 9-11. But now we are at a time where. Um, people are buying guns, buying guns at historic rates. Just listen quickly to these numbers. 13.5 million personal firearms legally sold in the United States in 2019. And you say 13.5 million, that's a lot. <laughs> Not when you consider that in 2020, 21.5 million personal firearms were sold in the United States. And in 2021, another 20 million. That's 55 million guns added legally to Americans' personal arsenals in just the past three years. And who are we arming ourselves against? One another. Gun ownership in America is, um, is very widespread. And there's been a dramatic demographic shift in gun ownership in the past three years. 58% increase among African-Americans buying guns, 49% increase in Hispanic Americans buying guns, a 43% increase in Asian-Americans buying guns. And those increased rates, which are from 2019, persisted in 2020 and 2021. People are afraid. All right, we as Christians have to have something to say about this. We have to start sowing peace in our local communities and across our country. So those are my um, three big issues that I wanted to surface this morning to call us to be praying about and to engage us in conversation about education, education, immigration, and criminal justice reform. We have got to have revolutionary reforms in all of these. And I think it ought to be led by Christians across the country. All right, I'm, I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen. We're going to take a pause for Upwards with Max Lucado. All right, thank you so much for those of you texting in this morning at 877-933-2484. Uh, I, I met a, um, a friend at church yesterday. His name's Wade, and he listens later in the day. Um, and he said, so, you know, I don't text in because I listen, um, you know, I listen in the middle of the day, um, you know, to the rebroadcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, and I said, Wade, you can still text in. I'll just see it the next day. So um, so if you're listening to this via podcast and you say to yourself, you know what? I want to text in. I want to share where in the word I am or I want to share what I'm learning from my pastor and how I'm praying um, for him or 
I've got a question about something Carmen just said, or I'd like a, a link to that story that she just talked about. Yep. You can text me. It doesn't matter if you're listening to it live or listening to the rebroadcast or listening to it later. Now, if you're not listening to it on the day of, if you're listening to this, um, you know, I don't know, weeks from now, you might have to tell me what day we're talking about because otherwise, you know, I'm going to I may give you a, a is lunatical a, 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 the way to describe a word like I might give you an answer to a question that just seems completely out of bounds. All right. So there you go. Love to hear you. Love to hear from you, though. The text line is always open. 877-933-2484. All right. Up next. Our friend Daniel Bennett is back from John Brown University. We're going to talk about the politics of the sincere believer. What do you sincerely believe? And would that hold up in court? Are you a sincere believer? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Are you a sincere believer? Would it stand up in court? Dr. Daniel Bennett is here to discuss this case of the sincere believer with us. Daniel, welcome back. Thanks very much. All right. What is a sincere believer and what does it have to do with the jurisprudence of the United States of America? (laughs) Well, we have to go back to the 1960s to really get probably, probably earlier than that. But let's start in the 1960s. There was a Supreme Court case involving a Seventh day Adventist woman who Uh, After uh, she was asked to work on a Saturday, uh, she said she couldn't do that. Her employer fired her, saying, look, I really do need someone to work on a Saturday. She uh, applied for unemployment insurance, and she was uh, not uh, not given the unemployment insurance because she the state told her, you know, you quit a job, essentially, and we can't just give people this assistance for, you know, just because they don't want to work on a particular day. And so she argued in court that her religious beliefs are being burdened. And so the sincere part of this came up because the Supreme Court in its decision said when someone has a sincere religious belief that's being burdened by the state, there can only be, or rather the state's action is only justified when it has a compelling interest to do so and it's gone about it in the narrowest way possible. So that's the legal position here. But the term sincerity became really interesting because the immediate question becomes, how do you evaluate if you're a court or a government, the sincerity of someone's beliefs? And I think that's really where we're at right now in our society. Uh, And and frankly, I (laughs) I think it's a little concerning if we're asking the government to evaluate the sincerity of people's religious beliefs. All right, so that's what jumped out at me in this as well. Um, the case before us is the case of John Ramirez, and so this is Ramirez versus Collier, for those of you keeping track at the U.S. Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And on March the 24th, the Supreme Court handed down an 8-1 decision in Ramirez versus Collier um, protecting Ramirez's free exercise of religion. There was an extended conversation about um, whether or not his beliefs were sincere Clarence Thomas, uh, the only justice to dissent, um, disagreed with nearly every point of the court's decision, including that Ramirez's um, faith is is sincere. And so it got into this conversation about what is sincere belief, who is a sincere believer, and how would you prove it in a court of law? So let me ask that question. Um, Daniel, if I had to prove that I was a sincere believer, how might that be tested and why would it matter? Well, I mean, you could get, I'll start with the second part first. I mean, you could envision a scenario where someone said, you know, I don't want to do this thing because it violates my sincerely held religious beliefs. 
And if the state like was I'm being a nurse really, and I don't want to like I'm a nurse and I don't want to sure. participate in an abortion. OK, right. An abortion like, or maybe your example. Practical example back in the 60s, it was I'm a pacifist. I don't want to serve in Vietnam, those kind of situations. And so, you know, one thing you could potentially do is uh, get a letter from a pastor where you're a member at a church. But of course, that uh, you already start to see a problem with that. What happens if you uh, go to a church where you aren't a member or you're in between churches or maybe, frankly, you just don't go to a church, but you adhere to a really strong sense of spiritual Uh, practice or morality that's more individualistic. And so we start to, you start to see a scenario where the government is effectively discriminating against people who don't have those traditional religious markers in place. Um, But you could see a scenario where someone's being asked to testify about the sincerity of someone's religious beliefs. Um, But I do think that's a real challenge, because as soon as we start asking the government to say, well, is this a legitimate belief or is this not a legitimate belief? I don't know if especially if we as Christians want to have the government have that authority or have that power to determine the sincerity of, say, Carmen's religious beliefs. Well, and tested against what? I mean, my sincere exactly. beliefs. I mean, if, as soon as you use the word Christian, the uh, the way that virtually anyone would define that today is so wide open. Um, mm. You know, and and the application of those theological claims to life is interpreted very individualistically in the culture today. Um, and if you're a part of a faith community that's not um, not hierarchical, right? Yeah. Then then yeah, I absolutely. think that the test the test becomes even more and more and more difficult. Right. And then there's the follow. There's the other issue of, you know, whether this sincere religious uh, examination would violate the Establishment Clause, of the First Amendment, wherein the government would essentially be uh, <laughs> unnecessarily or uh, inappropriately entangled with an entity of the church. So, you know, there, there is a workaround here, and I don't think it's particularly satisfying for a lot of people. But it's just to say we're not going to evaluate the sincerity of someone's beliefs if they are making a religious claim. And, uh, you know, maybe there is the fun, the most simple baseline for this. Maybe there's a text somewhere or maybe there's some iota that this is not just a random person trying to get out of doing X. And that that should be the only justification. I think the best example of this is the. the adherence to the satirical religious system, the uh, Pastafarian tradition, which is the mm. Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Uh, it was written as a satire, a satire of organized religion. And uh, someone asked in Massachusetts a few years ago can I, uh, to, to, uh, for an exemption to wear a colander on his head for his driver's license picture, in the same way that a Muslim woman might be given an exemption to wear a hijab over her head. Uh, and ultimately, the, the court said, yeah, we should just let this guy wear the colander. If this one dude out of however many million wants to do this, is that really worth violating these or risking violating these constitutional principles? So it's not particularly satisfying, but I think that's probably the safest bet, especially for Christians moving forward as conservative Orthodox Christians become more and more of a cultural minority. Mm. All right. Um, I, I, this is a fascinating. I, I mean, I, I'm fascinated by the fact that we're having this conversation in the United States of America in 2022. Right. Because, first of all, I think we have a culture of so many people who now identify as of no religious, like, intentionally identify as none, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm N-O-N-E. And and then we have 
um, a growing reliance upon religious exemptions for all kinds of things in a culture where increasingly religious exemptions are are being removed by state and federal government for all kinds of things. It's just a very curious time. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think if we were to go back, say, 50 years and we're having these conversations in, in the aftermath of Engel v. Vitale, the Supreme Court's decision on school prayer or the cases involving funding for, for religious education, uh, we've gone a long way in several decades. You know, as the United States becomes more pluralistic over time, this is probably inevitable. But again, I think it raises a different set of challenges for Christians who are seeking to navigate this uh, post-Christian society in many ways. Yeah. So thank you so much for um, for helping us see that and talk about that. I want to talk with you today about this new S, uh, this new U.S. program to sponsor Ukrainian refugees here in the United States. We're talking with Dr. Daniel Bennett from John Brown University. You can also find him at the Uneasy Citizenship blog. Um, let's um, let's set this up and then let's talk a little bit more a- after the break. What's going on, Daniel? So, you know, obviously there's a lot of refugees uh, fleeing Ukraine. I think I saw the number, you know, four or five million was the last count that I had seen, I believe. And the question automatically becomes where are these people to go? And so the United States is having to decide how many of these refugees to admit. Obviously, there's a political conversation to be had. It's a really fraught topic, but hopefully one that we can, you know, kind of get behind from across the political spectrum. I think that remains to be seen in some ways. All right, we're going to talk about the details of it, but today is the day that you can actually start signing up with the federal government if you want to financially sponsor Ukrainians displaced by the Russian invasion in their country, um, that you could sponsor them to come to the United States sooner. That program actually opens today. So we're talking about it here on Mornings with Carmen with Dr. Daniel Bennett. We'll be right back. More than 5 million Ukrainians have fled their homeland. 12 million, an additional 12 million, are internally displaced. We're talking about the 5 million people who have physically left Ukraine, so they are officially refugees. Um, They have been displaced by the Russian invasion of their country. Some of them are seeking to come to the United States. President Biden has pledged to welcome 100,000 Um, Ukrainian refugees. Uh, And in order to do that, they have set up a sponsorship program called Uniting for Ukraine. It launches today, and it's the first concrete U.S. policy aimed at fulfilling um, the promise that the United States will take 100,000 Ukrainian refugees. So here's how I understand it's going to work. Ukrainians who are uh, selected to travel to the United States um, will be granted humanitarian parole. That allows them to bypass the visa and refugee program requirements, um, which typically take years to complete. Uh, And so it does not offer permanent status. Parole does allow Ukrainians to live and work in the United States for up to two years. Um, Daniel, when you think about the way we welcome, um, uh, you know, people in need, uh, when you think about the way we talk as a nation about Um, being a place of refuge, you know, this is a good thing, obviously, that's happening, but it's complicated because we don't do this for everybody. No, uh, and almost immediately you're going to find objections to say, well, why aren't we doing it for the people displaced in these regions or these regions? And I think those are reasonable conversations to be had. 
particularly when we ought to be viewing, especially as Christians, all people as made in God's image. And why are we being, you know, why are we giving special preference or treatment to, to some people over others? I think that's fundamentally a political problem, right? I mean, it's, it really is just an allocation of resources in many respects. But focusing on the problem right now, where you have 5 million people who are now refugees from Ukraine, like you said, the United States has the opportunity to welcome just 2% of those, up to 100,000, 2% of the total displaced at this point. And I think it's really interesting the way that we're doing this because it's effectively, as you suggested, offering people an opportunity to, to get involved in the process. You can physically sponsor and financially sponsor uh, some of these people uh, seeking to come to the United States. What a cool opportunity would be for a family with means uh, for churches in our country uh, who say, well, you know, we're going to pledge, maybe we have a missions budget or maybe we have a benevolence budget. We're going to pledge to sponsor so many of these refugees in our communities. Um, and like you said, these visa requirements are usually very onerous. Uh, I know someone who's gone through it or is going through it right now. Uh, but it would pr provide for a temporary reprieve from these from these requirements. So I think this is a really simple way that not just the United States government, but just people in the United States, and especially Christians, can welcome those who are in serious turmoil right now. All right. So um, people are wondering where you can go. If you go to welcome.us, if you go to welcome.us, you can actually um, – uh, you can actually see opportunities to support Ukrainians. Um, and for those of you um, concerned about what's happened, continuing to be concerned about what's happening in Afghanistan and those fleeing Afghanistan, mm. there are actually um, particular ways to engage at that as well. There's a CEO council there for um, for folks who want to get involved in that particular way. I mean, like I it's uh, there. This is a private organization that is actually spearheading the effort, which is kind of interesting as well. So Uniting for Ukraine yeah. is the overall program, um, and then there is a way for Ukrainian citizens to apply for humanitarian parole, and that's a different website. But for Americans, I think you want to go to welcome.us. Yeah, and I think you, you, you nailed it here with just the, the fact that a private entity is really spearheading a lot of this. Uh, you know, for so much of the time, I think the criticism, especially among conservatives, is that the government is doing too much, that we're ceding too much authority to the government. I think those are legitimate concerns, especially when we talk about local issues. But my goodness, now we're being given the opportunity to act as private citizens, right, or church bodies, communities. And that's exactly what I think conservatives should be excited about, that this isn't being mandated or imposed on people, but saying you have a chance to buy in at this point. Uh, and I know not everybody will be able to do this, but for those of us who can, I mean, what a great opportunity and a really simple way to show God's love to people who are just facing some of the most horrific circumstances you can imagine. All right. So now I have more details because, you know, other people are better at this than I am. Um, the direct website is ukraine.welcome.us. <laughs> ukraine.welcome.us. All right, Daniel, what else are you um, thinking about in these days that you might want to provoke us to think about today? Well, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, the, I, I get, I've been thinking a lot about religious exemptions lately. I wrote about this most recently uh, in the recent overview uh, newsletter. Um, but there's a really interesting case involving a couple of Sikh soldiers who are seeking religious exemptions to maintain a beard in the Marine Corps. The military has provided uh, a number of exemptions to Sikh uh, servicemen and women over the years, including the ability to wear turbans and maintain facial hair. This particular case involves Marines who are going through boot camp 
And uh, again, for, for your listeners who are veterans, uh, the, the Marine Corps really tries to instill a, an attitude of just trying to eliminate the individual, right? We're all about the core. It's all about the community. And that includes no facial hair. But Sikhs are given or Sikhs are seeking this this uh, religious uh, exemption from this. The Marine Corps does provide a health and, and medical exemption. So for people who need to maintain facial hair for skin conditions, those does do exist from what I understand. And so that's going to be a tough argument to make for the Marine Corps to say, well, we're going to allow these exemptions, but not these other exemptions. Um, so I think, man, this just illustrates what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, the difficulties that arise in pluralist societies as we seek to balance what's good for individuals and what's necessary for individuals under the Constitution, but what is best for us as a society. Uh, and, and these kinds of questions aren't going away. I think it's probably good that we're having these conversations. I love the fact that we live in a pluralist society with this kind of diversity. doesn't mean that we affirm that all truth is relative, but it affirms that we ha- that people should have the dignity to act upon their, their religious convictions and deepest held belief systems. So those are things I'm thinking about. I'm also thinking about the end of the semester. Pray for our students and the, and the students you know in your, in, in your lives, in your listeners' lives. Uh, it's a tough time of the semester for them. But uh, as they have done, they will endure. Mm. All right. Um, I love the piece that's in ChristianityToday.com, why we fight about football prayers. Can you introduce people to this and then they can find <laughs> it uh, at Christianity Today? Sure. Yeah, sure. So uh, there's a case actually being heard right now, uh, well, actually today at the Supreme Court involving a, an assistant football coach in Washington State who's been uh, praying uh, at the 50-yard line. Uh, with his players. This was several years ago. He was ultimately asked to stop doing that. He refused. At that point, he was let go. Uh, and how he's uh, saying that this was a violation of his First Amendment rights. It's really a question, was he a, was he acting in his capacity as an individual, a private citizen, where he would obviously have the right to do this? Or was he in, capac- in his capacity as a state employee, um, as a, you know, as much maybe as a, as a teacher leading his or her class in prayer? And we know, we, we've seen the Supreme Court say that's that's unconstitutional. So the Supreme Court's going to hear arguments this week. I had the opportunity to write about the piece in Christianity Today with Paul Putz, who's a historian down at Baylor and their sports initiative, which is so cool that Baylor has a sports initiative. I know. Uh, and uh, isn't that great? That's he, so he, great. He, he, wrote, he wrote the vast majority of this article. It's such an interesting historical perspective on the history of the relationship between faith, prayer, and sports. Uh, and then I happened to chime in with some of the legal angles here. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really interesting piece. I learned a lot by co-authoring it with Paul. So I'd encourage your readers to go or your listeners to go check it out at Christianity Today. If you just Google football coach prayer, uh, you should be able to find it on CT's website. Yep. Why we fight about football prayers. The moral authority of high school coaches raises First Amendment questions the Supreme Court will have to consider in Kennedy versus Bremerton. Um, Daniel Bennett is the co-author of that piece with Paul Putz. Um, you can also find Daniel, well, you can find him all over the place. Where's the one place that you like <laughs> to direct people to connect with you? I mean, I'd probably, probably Twitter is the easiest, but on the, the Substack page too is always interesting to hear from folks. Yeah. Remind us of your Substack. DanielBennett.substack.com. All right, danielbennett.substack.com, which if you, um, if, you, if you follow people's Substack, you get a little bit more substance than you get if you, like, just yeah. follow their Twitter feed. So, Daniel, as always, yeah. thank you so much. What a joy. Thanks. Absolutely. All right, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. We'll be right back. I will trust where you 
All right, let's be celebrating people today. Um, if you are not a Special Olympics person, let me just tell you, it's going on in local communities across the country. I don't want you to miss your opportunity to celebrate kids and families in your community through Special Olympics. So please go and find out when your Special Olympics events are and support kids and families engaged in that. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to connect with families in our community that um, often go unseen. And it's a great outreach opportunity for your church if you've you know, if you've never thought about that as a as a place of engagement for you to value life and every life and celebrate people who are differently abled. So let me encourage you to do that. Celebrating with Mary this morning. Mary listens regularly and she texts in. And this morning she sent me a picture um, of her sweet girl who uh, competed in Special Olympics in the regional swimming competition on Saturday and brought uh, brought home, you know, four medals because, you know, if you compete... In Special Olympics, absolutely you get a medal, uh, as you should. So there you go. Um, So congratulations, Mary. Pass along our congratulations to your sweet one there. All right, words matter. Um, Nothing matters more than the Word of God. So have you been in the Word of God today? Where in the Word are you today? Let's get into the Word before we get out there into the world that God so loves. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We're going to talk about the importance of words Um, And we're also going to talk with our friend Linda Mental about what's going on in the world. Trisha Goyo will be here as well with Heart Happy. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.